last week. If you missed, um, Chad Bonowitz was here. He is a friend of mine out of Murphy. Um, I don't have many friends in Murphy, but uh, he is one of them. Um, but uh, he's planning a church out there, and so um, we've been in a relationship for uh, a few years now since I, I moved here. Some of you have met him outside of the church, and uh, they have a thing called Murphy Slackers. It's a community outreach they do every Saturday where they just get together in the park and they uh, set up some slack lines, uh, fire up a grill, and just have a lot of fun. Um, they're very similar to what we do at the Grove, and so uh, we're excited about helping them out as they plant this church. But Chad shared last week about family, if you remember. He, he kind of uh, approached uh, or asked us to approach us what do you, to think about this Sunday morning events or Sunday morning gathering as, as family, as uh, approaching it as a family reunion type of thing. And so I was like, that's great. That's a, you know, it's a great thing. Uh, it's, like, it's, it's great to think that. Um, but at the same time, I see posts all over Facebook from people within this church or just other churches I know that, that want absolutely nothing to do with other Christians, right? Because the way Christians behave and interact with our culture and with each other. And so I often, I sit in this tension of, you know, I have this desire for this to be family. You know, and at the same time, I have this disdain for uh, the way some of you behave, right? And me included. But I was reading this book called Jesus Outside the Lines. And this is a, a quote from this, and I posted this on Facebook the other day. Some of you guys saw it. But it said, being a Christian sometimes feels like being in a family with a thousand drunk uncles. And he let that sit in, so um, all of us have that, right? But I believe that we all have this desire to belong. The problem is that, that people that are in the, there's people that are in the family that we just don't want to belong to, right? And, and the struggle for me is real. Because for me, I love family. Since 1983, my dream was to be Clark Griswold. Many of you know him. Seriously, it's true. Other boys around me growing up in the 80s, well, they wanted to be James Bond or Batman or Superman or Rambo or Indiana Jones. I wanted to be Clark Griswold, right? I wanted to, I, I couldn't wait to be a father. I couldn't wait to uh, have my own family and, and drive across the country to, to Wally World, right? But, um, and to prove it, I just drove 18 hours with my family up north to, to, to be with family. And, and I have to admit now that that dream is slowly fading away. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> but now it's, it's turned from vacation to more like Christmas vacation, Clark Griswold, right? Where I want everyone to come to my house uh, so I don't have to travel, right? I'll, I will install 25,000 imported Italian twinkle lights, just if that's what it takes to bring them to my family. But the problem is, is not too long after that, Cousin Eddie shows up in his, in his RV, right? And he's dumping the septic tank. And, and so as a family, as much as I love it, I, I struggle loving Cousin Eddie, right? But today... Our topic, family, belonging, that deep desire each one of us has, whether we admit it or not, that to, to belong, whether it's to God or to other people or to a faith community. You know, small groups, uh, membership, church, community in general, uh, this longing for real, authentic, deep relationships. And I want to start by saying this. I have heard preachers who seem like experts in the things they talk about on Sunday mornings, right? I remember as a kid listening to my kids' pastor, and as a teenager listening to my youth pastor, and as a young adult uh, listening to the pastor who was talking and going, man, I wish one day I could master that topic, whatever it was they were talking about. I wish I could do it like they do it. Because it was obvious that that pastor, whatever he was talking about, or uh, that, that he had mastered it, right? Well, for you and for me, you should never feel that way. 
I have in no way mastered any of the stuff that I talk about, but, but, but I try. And so the options for me if presenting a message is either option A, an expert teacher, like, uh, having owned the topic, or option B, one of student with a microphone, stumbling, disciple, uh, learning in front of people, and failing miserably at times, today's option B. But to be fair, I would wager that I'm not the only one here who struggles with belonging. And to be fair, we have good reasons. Uh, for one, our culture in general has been built on this autonomous self, right? We're self-made, we're self-sustained, we don't need community, we don't need anybody, we can do this on our own. And another reason is many of us carry scars, right? We have lives that are marked by scars from past relationships, bad marriages, bad family experiences, bad church experiences, jobs that went bad, relationships that went bad. And where you have scars in your past, you now have developed calluses. And those calluses make it very hard, this idea of belonging. And we have learned as people and as a society how to isolate ourselves, how to protect ourselves from the other person. I was recently invited to a Facebook page, a group. It was a secret group, if you're familiar with Facebook. And a friend of mine created this group because he had a place, he needed a place where he could talk and have thoughts and have questions that he could ask people and, and, and not fear losing his job. Not fear being rejected by other people. Not losing his community. And I totally get that. And I bet at times you feel the same way. As a pastor, for me, I can't even think out loud these days without being accused of being a heretic or that I've walked away from the faith. And so now the way we interact with people is we have this facade. We wear a mask. We, we, we put on an act with each other. And you and I, we've created this threshold or, or you know, just, just how far we're going to go with people. We create this bubble that keeps just the right distance away from each other. And then we enter into relationships and all of a sudden that threshold gets crossed or that balloon, or that bubble gets popped, right? And we're immediately ready to just break it off, to leave and walk away. And as your pastor, I want to be vulnerable with you for a moment. Being someone who carries scars from my past, from my family as a child, past jobs, past churches, and even this church. And as someone who loves community, I love to talk about it, I love to, to be in it. Over time, I have learned how to fake community. Because sometimes belonging scares the hell out of me. I've been hurt before by close friends, by inner circle people. And I would venture to believe that for many of you, the idea of belonging also is very scary. And we are called to be a community. Our faith is personal, but it's never meant to be private. It was never meant to be done in isolation from the group. And if we really treated this community as family, we couldn't walk away from each other when things got hard. And so I want to pray real quick and and I want to jump into some things, but let me pray. God, in the next few moments as we talk about belonging, I want you to help us see into our relationships, into our marriages, into our, our jobs, our families, of where we haven't let you be in control. Where we haven't been vulnerable. Speak into our scars, speak into our pains, speak truth. 
of how we are to interact with each other. In your name we pray, amen. So what I want to do today is I want to look at two major metaphors that I believe that, are, that define our social interactions, that historically have defined the way we have our social relationships. And those are contracts and covenants. And the first one is contract, and these are the notes that you have in your bulletin, so you'll be able to fill in the blanks here. Uh, contract, I believe this is the dominant metaphor that we see in our culture and in our relationships today. And I'm not talking about a piece of paper that you sign, but the theory behind it, the way we function with each other. Now, we do see it in legal papers that we sign, whether it's sports or whether it's in some marriages or businesses. But if we were to really look at how that we function as a culture in our social relationships, I believe it's that of contract. With the uh, communities that we create, uh, we typically uh, function and treat our relationships as if they are contracts. And here's what I mean. Let me give you some characteristics of a contract. And let's see if these don't sound like some of our relationships with people, with, with groups, or uh, with church. Number one, it says contracts are performance-oriented. The reasons we have contracts is to make sure a task is accomplished. That they are to ensure that a commodity is produced, that a service is rendered. And the truth is, if we look at a lot of our relationships, if we're not getting out from the other person what we need, we want out. We're ready to cut off that relationship. And of course, we would never admit, admit that up front, right? Like, hey, I just want to say before we get started becoming friends, if I don't get what I want out of this, I'm out, right? We never would say that. And we would never say it about the person or the church that we love so much. And this is where we've invented the, it's not you, it's, it's me, right? But the truth is, the truth is we've been hurt before, and if I can't get what I want, then I'm out. Second thing is contracts are marked by limited commitment. And another way to say that is a, a contract only requires what it specifically or implicitly states, right? No less, no more. It's in the contract. Is it there? If it's not, I don't have to do it. This protects us from being fully uh, emotionally, physically, socially engaged or commitment. We have the right to say, hey, I, I never agreed to that. Third thing is contracts are strictly reciprocal. That the consent of both parties involved is needed or required for those involved to be held to the contract. If either side fails, the contract is voided. In other words, the transgressions of one party, and this is so us, the transgressions of one party releases the other from the contract. It's how we function in most, almost every arena in our lives, including our marriages. But I would bet that a majority of marriages that have ended was because one of the persons decided that this was a contract. And unfortunately, this is how our society functions as a whole. Because a contract is created to protect oneself. That's why it exists. It protects oneself from the other. And the problem with the idea of contract is that as people, as human beings, we are not created to be autonomous, to just coordinate with other people solely to perform tasks and to get some needs met. That is not who we are at our core, and we know that. Our relationships are not, especially if you read the scriptures, are not strictly reciprocal. My neighbor, his or her inability to fulfill their role to me 
should not cancel out my role to them, especially through the lens of Scripture. That's contractual relationships. That's not how we were designed to interact with each other. And so let's look at another metaphor for social relationships, and that's that of covenant. And and we really don't work like this today. But if you were to look throughout biblical history, you would find this idea of covenant, many of which were polluted. But they understood that social relationships should be guided by this idea of covenant. And the best example or description of covenant that we find in the gospel is that of the new covenant. The one Jesus formed with his people on the cross. In Luke 22 when he says, this cup, this blood that is shed is the new covenant I make with you. And so today I want to look at some elements of covenant. Again, these are your blanks in your bulletin. The first one says, it is all about making space for the other inside of yourself. It's all about making space for the other inside yourself. And where do we see the best example of this? On the cross. This is exactly what Jesus did. He became us. He made room for for us inside of him as he died on the cross. The second is, once the covenant has been broken by one of the parties, to renew it requires the offended to give of oneself. On the cross, the new covenant came by blood. It required a sacrifice. When the covenant was broken, it required a sacrifice from the innocent body. The third thing is covenants have eternal nature. And as Christ followers, we usually get this. We understand this in our relationship with God. But socially, do we get this between you and I? Just because you've broken covenant with me doesn't give me excuse to break covenant with you. Now, as as I say that, let me say this, and this is not to give us a loophole, but in Scripture, we see examples of extreme circumstances where this idea of covenant and belonging can be cut. Jesus gives us examples when he references divorce. There's extreme, uh, they're extreme, unlike in our culture today where we just have a difference that we can't reconcile and so we walk away from our relationship. But Moses and Jesus gave us circumstances where marriage could end according to law. And then we see with Paul and and, and Barnabas where there's a sense of belonging and relationship that was cut. We see places in scripture where church discipline takes place and someone has been asked to leave the covenant community. But all of these are extreme examples. And because we live in flesh, because we're human, we're earthly, we're sinful people, God gives us these loopholes, but they're not nearly as often as we treat them. Number four, the covenant causes two separate people to be so intertwined with each other that the individual self is sustained, created, and shaped by those in covenant with each other. That a covenant causes two people to be so intertwined with each other that the individual self is sustained, created, and shaped by those in the covenant with each other, which is completely countercultural to how we work. We don't want to change. We don't want to rethink things. If, if someone challenges what I believe, then I need to go somewhere else. I need to be surrounded by people who think, act, and believe just like me. And lastly, number five, is this is the most obvious one. If we're looking at at the cross as the example, 
the underlying normative, the covenant, the glue that holds it all together is forgiveness. And it's forgiveness even when the party who caused the offense is not asking for it. And all five of those are extremely countercultural to the way we live today. And at the root of this idea of covenant is the idea of belonging. Belonging is the soil that the covenant grows out of. And covenant only works when the idea of belonging is supreme. And so this is what I want to do now. And let me preface it with this. I'm aware, I'm fully aware that many of us in here have, bad, have had bad family experiences. But I do not know how to communicate the idea of belonging outside the context of family. And to be honest, I'm not sure scripture communicates the idea of belonging outside the context of family. But we cannot let those past experiences trump scripture and its idea of belonging. We can't just throw it out. Especially since the Bible uses the metaphor of family uh, to talk about what it means to belong. The Bible started to tell the story of God. It had, we had the family of Noah. We had Abraham and his sons. We had the children of Israel. We had the tribes of Israel. It was all about family context. And then we hit the New Testament and the gospel explodes. And we're no longer dealing with the biological family. But family is still the metaphor used to describe a covenant community or a people belonging to each other. Scripture says that we are sons and daughters of God. That God is the Father that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, adopted into the family of Christ, that we're the bride of Christ. The metaphor of family is, is ingrained. And so it seems that scripture doesn't talk about the idea of covenant or belonging outside the context of family, so we're not going to either. But I want to read a very familiar story out of the New Testament, one that if you've been here for any sort of time, you're very familiar with. And as I read it to you, I want you to listen I want you to listen through the lenses of covenant and belonging to each other. Not how we traditionally read the story as man's relationship to God, but socially, how we live in relationship with each other. And while we go through the story, I want us to look for some stuff. I want to be able to ask you at the end if you've noticed anything in the story. See, the story is a story of social interaction, where one person has decided he no longer wants to belong. That he has broken the covenant. And I feel that we do a good job talking about kingdom. We don't talk a lot about covenant. And when Jesus tells stories, he has elements of both. Kingdom people were covenant people. And so in this story, we find a person, for whatever reason, doesn't want to be, belong in covenant with his family. And we have a father who has been completely shamed, disrespected, and refuses to let the covenant be broken. So a quick review of covenant. And I want you to be looking for this in the story. I want you to write them down when you see them. Number one, belonging is about making space for the other inside yourself. Second is in order for the estranged to belong. Self-giving from the one who was hurt must happen. Three, belonging has eternal nature. Just because one quit doesn't mean the other quits. Four, causing two separate persons to be so intertwined that they are created shapes sustained by the other. And the last is forgiveness. So turn with me if you have a Bible to Luke 15.
We're going to start in verse 11 of Luke 15. Again, a very familiar story to many of you. I'm not sure about you, but I know for my whole life, I, when I read the story, I've heard the story, I've always assumed that this was some young 18-year-old, 20-year-old kid, right, who was just going through a phase, right? He just wanted to go out and party. But the more I understand the message, the more I realize that we can't just assume that this was some wayward teenager, some rebellious 21-year-old. What we do know is that this is a man who was a part of a system. He was part of a family, a part of a social network, and he's decided he no longer wants to belong. And dating back to ancient times, household and family solidarity was simply this, to protect and increase and this guy, all he wants to do is divide and diminish. And he makes an active decision to say, you no longer belong to me, and I no longer belong to you. And because what we have together is represented by the inheritance, that must be divided as well. And something I want to point out to you, and, I, and you will see it in just a moment, that, that all the individuals in this story are consumed by the other. You hear it in their language. Your brother, your father, his brother, his father, your son, my son. There was no autonomy. There was no autonomous person here in the story. They were all known within the context of inside each other. Verse 13. Let's go 11. There was a man who had two sons. The father, uh, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent uh, out, in, I'm sorry, who sent out him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that he, the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the mission of the son in the beginning of the story is that he wanted to unbelong himself. He wanted to uh, get out. This was very familiar uh, with the story of Jonah that we talked about all summer. Jonah wanted out of the relationship with God. And so this son wanted to unson himself from the father. He wanted his inheritance, and, and he said, I'm not supposed to, to get this until you die, and so I wish you were dead so that I can have it now. Verse 16, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And so when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. If you notice, the journey starts with this universal desire to belong. He immediately goes back to saying, my father. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to his father. The self of this son had been constructed, created, shaped by the belonging of the others in the covenant. And he wants so badly to go back to that. But his thinking has switched from, from covenant to contractual, right? 
He believed that the belonging had been cut off. And although he longs for that belonging so much, he will settle for the idea of proximity. If I could just be near my father's house. And I wonder that if you and I were to look at some of our relationships with people or social groups, when things have the potential to go bad, how often we settle for the idea of proximity over the cost of belonging. Verse 20, so he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Back in that day, they lived in this society that was kind of a shame society, an honor-shame society. And everything that the father just did in verse 20 would have brought more shame to the family. Not only has his father been dishonored and shamed by the son, by the one who was in covenant with him, the father reinforces that shame by running out and embracing the son and accepting him as he was. This would have cost the father his reputation in the society. The whole town probably has gathered to see how this, this, this father would respond. They brought their kids to show them, to remind them of what would happen if they ever did such a thing. Watch this, Junior. If you ever, ever say this to me, this is what's going to happen to you. Watch, just watch. And they wanted this man to make an example out of his son. Send a message that this is what happens when you break covenant. And in verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on his uh, put, it, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. I'm going to go ahead and finish the story. Verse, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. And so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, and this is when he begins to switch from contractual, he takes away the covenant, he unsuns himself in this moment. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. We have the older son who was thinking contractual this entire time. But the father refused to break the covenant. And so here's what I want to do. I want to see if you guys were paying attention. I have a kind of a list here. I have a few questions. I want to see if you saw any of this. So we talked about covenant, the, the five ideas of a covenant. The elements. Where did you see the idea of making room inside the self for the other? Where did you see that in that story? Anybody? 
The sense, this idea of making room inside the self for the other. Does anyone see that? Yeah, the, the, the father a long way out was looking for him. It had always was watching for him. Anyone else see that? See where the father made room inside himself? A few things I had written down uh, is the, the way they identified with each other. We talked about that before, the, that my son, my, my father, your brother, they made room inside themselves. Uh, I saw where he runs down the driveway and embraces him where he has this moment to, he loses his reputation by, by letting the son of who he was, to, he embraces him. And then in the beginning, I don't know if you, you saw this, and, but he let the, his son make a decision without arguing with him. Did anyone ever notice that in the story? Where they, in this moment where he says, I want my stuff, and we don't see any word the father argues with him. I mean, how many of you as parents, would, your kid says, give me what I, what I, what's, my, what's mine, I want it now, would have argued back and forth with their, with their kid. He just gives it to him. How about this idea of self-giving? We said in, in a covenant where, 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 where the covenant is broken for the estranged to feel welcome, to, to feel welcome back and, and belonging, that it requires the person who was uh, offended, the person who was hurt to, to give of themselves. Do you see anywhere where the father gave of himself? I'm not going to be... Right, he gave him the robe, the ring, the sandals. He, there was this trust factor because he had no, we don't hear anywhere where the, where the son is saying, hey, I'm not going to do the same thing again. But he, but he just, the father opened it and welcomed it in without even knowing whether or not there would be a promise of this happening again. He lost his reputation. He, the crowd had gathered to see how he would respond and he brought sh more shame on the family when he welcomes them back, Right. It cost him the herd, the, the fattened calf. He had to give that away, right? There was a, an element of losing relationship with his, with his older son, right? The older son obviously turned and wanted out at that point. How about in the uh, eternal nature of a covenant where, where one quits but the other one doesn't? Do we see any elements of that in the story? Anybody see any elements of that? He refused to break covenant with the older son. Right, yeah, that, that, that eternal nature, that it was always there. How about the idea that he was watching and waiting? That he was waiting for that son to come back, that he had saw him a long way off, he saw him. The, uh, the son had reduced this idea of belonging into a space, right? He, it was, the belonging was at the father's house, that he could unbelong himself if he just got far enough away. But we see that it was the father's heart and not his house where, where the son belonged. Shaped by others, we said in, in a covenant, we were so intertwined with each other that we're created, we're sustained, we're, we're shaped by each other. Did anybody see any of that in the story? I like, this is like new style for some of us, right? Chad introduced this last week, it's like classroom stuff, you're free to talk in here. This is how we become the church together, right? Yeah, he, he, was, he ultimately was into another, another relationship where he was in contract with someone as a working environment, but he allowed that to, to dictate yeah, who he became. Right. 
Right, it's the idea that Chad kind of talked about last week where we have this, that triangle of like our, 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 our desire to just obey, 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 to be in right standing with God. And that's what the son had the, the older son had the entire time is he wanted to do these things. And he thought, if I just did these things, then, then I'd be right with you. But I, I, I did them, and now I'm, I'm not getting the celebration that I'm, I'm deserving. This, this, other, this other boy is getting it. I think we see it when the, the servant is asked by the older brother, what's going on in there? And, and the servant's like, listen, your brother's back. We're celebrating because he's returned. I mean, they got it. They were so intertwined with, with that father, with that, that social group that they knew when someone comes back that it's time to celebrate. The father says it to himself. He says, your, your brother is back. We had to celebrate. This is who we are. The last thing is forgiveness. Where do we see forgiveness play in this, this story? He didn't wait for the one who caused offense, the one who broke covenant, to ask for forgiveness. He embraced him. He kissed him. It was what held the relationship together. What do you say? Yeah. We, it's, it's, it's the, the, the seal of, of this moment, this, this underlying, undertowing uh, normative of covenant was this idea of forgiveness. We see it in the cross where Jesus says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. It happened before we asked forgiveness that we were already forgiven. Yeah. He, had to, he knew his father would at least hire him as a, as, as a person to work in the house. And we know, looking at the story, that the people that worked for him knew the father's love, knew the father's forgiveness, because we celebrate when the lost come back. I want to invite the band on stage, and we're going to close. I just want to, a few more comments I want, to, I want to make. As people, we are very conditional. And as a culture, we have been taught to function in the idea of contract. We don't use the term, but that's how our relationships function. It's about reciprocal. It's about give and take, right? It, it has to be about that. If someone else cuts off the contract, then we're released too, right? But this is not the life Christ has called us to. This is not what it means to belong. And what we see in the story is this extreme idea of belonging. But for us, as a church, as our small groups meet this week, I hope that you will talk a bit about this. But for all of us, whether we're in a small group or not, I want you to think about this week, this idea of belonging and what that really means to you. I want you to think about the relationships in the community that you're involved in, your, your marriages, your relationships, this, this church. Are you in true community or are you in a contract with those others that are around you? Is it covenant? Do you really belong to each other? I want to give you an example of this. C.S. Lewis had a group of writers that he would get together with. They met at a pub and they would drink and smoke cigars together and they would talk about ideas and thoughts and they would share their writings with each other. It was this circle of friends they called the, the Inklings, right? It was Tolkien. A lot of you guys know that author Tolkien and Charles Williams. They were in this group and they would talk and Charles Williams died unexpectedly. And when he died, this is what C.S. Lewis said about him. He says, in each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. 
By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Now that Charles is dead, I shall never see Tolkien's reaction to him as he jokes. For far from having more of Tolkien, having him to myself now that Charles is away, I actually have less of him. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed, which no man can number, increases the fruition which each of us have in God. For every soul, seeing him in her own way, doubtless communicates the unique vision to all the rest. That says an old author is why the seraphim in Isaiah, the vision is crying, holy, holy, holy to each other. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we shall have. In other words, not only are we going to miss him, he says, but I'm going to miss the you that was created by him because he no longer is around to make that, that, that you exist. What would it be like if our relationships were like that? What C.S. Lewis is saying is that it took a community to know an individual. How much more would that be true of Jesus Christ? The more we remain as a community the, the, and belong to one another, the more we know Christ and us in Him. You can't live the Christian life without a band of Christian friends or without a family of believers in which you find a place. Would you stand with me? God, in these next few moments, speak to our hearts where we maybe feel estranged from family, where we don't feel that sense of belonging. May we feel that this morning now as you embrace us as our Father, as you redeem that relationship, as we open up and trust in you. God, may our relationships resemble the story of a father who loved so unconditionally his son, refused to break covenant with his son, who offered forgiveness when it wasn't asked for. God, may we be so intertwined with you and each other that you create us, you shape us, you define us, you sustain us as we live in community with each other. God, speak to us in this, in this time as we worship back to you, as we celebrate coming back to you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for giving of yourself, for making room inside of yourself for us. May we do the same for us. Hear our hearts as we worship.